Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. But before we actually get into what this episode is, this is an interesting one. Ravi, you're in Costa Rica, and I'm not that far away in, well, comparatively in Miami. So, yeah. I mean, we're super relatable here. Yeah. What are you doing in Miami? Uh, just working from here with, we got the kids here and it's warm and we're here for five days because it's warm. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for a while. I'm here for six weeks. They actually, shout out to the people at the Outpost, Nosara. They actually gave me their sound insulated office for the next six weeks. So I actually have a place to podcast from here and, you know, I'm just right off the path to the beach over there. So I'm just living the dream, Jason. Perpetually, I think yeah. I would say perpetually <laughs> you are. And uh, uh, all right, well, let's tell the people uh, about who we're talking to today. All right, well, we're talking to Katie, who's a longtime listener, and her father Jerry. Now, Katie, given that she's a longtime listener, she's a progressive, she's liberal, but she grew up in rural Nevada, and her dad, who's a former firefighter, who now interestingly is traveling across the country in an RV, uh, leans more conservative. And so we wanted to bring them on as we do around the holidays. We've now done this a few times to just have them open up about their political differences. And Katie reached out to us because she and her dad actually have a lot of common ground on social issues, but her dad hasn't voted for a Democrat in Katie's entire lifetime. And so for us, we sense that as a huge opportunity. And I think Katie does too. Yeah. And we love doing this because like, so many of you are preparing to go see family right now and you're you're sweating about seeing your dad or your uncle or your brother-in-law or cousin or whoever it is who does not have the same beliefs as you and you're trying to figure out do I engage in this are they going to engage me what is my responsibility here what is my goal here and uh, as you'll notice I think listening to this conversation it seems to me that Katie and Jerry are doing it very productively and I think by the way we've just had this conversation where recording the intro now, I think we may have stumbled into a real inroad that Katie may have with Jerry to potentially change the way he thinks about some of his votes in the future. But yeah, um, let me flag that for people who are about to listen, because often when we air these types of interviews, we get a couple pieces of feedback, uh, particularly that we are giving a platform to Republicans or people with different beliefs, or that we don't challenge people's views enough. And I think it's really important as you listen to this interview to understand that this is a long game here. Obviously, if you're listening to Majority 54, 
you're not necessarily going to be persuaded by Jerry's views about conservatism. So it's not our job really to challenge every word that comes out of his mouth, but to find the opportunities to persuade him, right? And I think as I look back at this interview, I'm like, oh, we found that opportunity. You'll you'll hear it when you hear it. And two is we learned something about how two people can have a productive and meaningful, loving relationship despite their political differences and actually go about persuading each other is something that I've found very difficult in my life. And I know a lot of listeners do too. Yeah, perfectly said. I'm going to underline something that you just said, Ravi, which is every time we do this, people are like, I can't believe you let him say that and didn't challenge it. It's like, look, what Ravi's saying is we respect the intelligence of the people listening to the show. And we also know what your political views are. We don't feel that we have to challenge everything that this person or that anybody who disagrees with us says, because we know that you've already challenged it in your mind. We're showing you some respect by not doing it. And we're trying to model what these conversations can look like. And I think that Ravi's right. I think that by the end of this, you'll see, oh, there was an opening there. We didn't run through the opening. We left it for Katie to do that with her dad in the future, which is really the goal of all of this. So with that said, enjoy this conversation that we just had with Katie and her dad, Jerry. All right, Katie, thank you for uh, reaching out to us. Thank you for bringing your dad, Jerry. Let's see if I can quickly do like a setup of this situation. So Katie, you wrote in and you talked about your dad, Jerry, and how you and he have these very respectful, very actually productive and civil conversations about politics, uh, but that your dad is is a union guy who last voted for a Democrat when uh, Jimmy Carter ran for president, and then since then has voted Republican, even though you two seem to often be able to meet uh, on a lot of issues and have a bit of a meeting in the minds. So you just, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you're interested in sort of us having like a I don't want to say group therapy, but a, a productive session here where we talk to your dad, Jerry, who's with us, about why he's come to his views. You're not like looking to turn him around necessarily. Is that right? Well, I think, Dad, if I ever do figure out how to get you to vote for a Democrat, I'll consider it a victory. But I also respect that you're the person you are, right? But yeah, I think that that captures it really well, Jason. Thank you. I think it'd be really um, valuable for people to understand why moderate Republicans sometimes choose to vote the way they do. And I think my dad is a very smart, articulate guy who could help all of us understand that and see if there is any strategy around um, getting folks who are very moderate in their views to vote for a Democrat. And Jerry, right now you are on an RV tour with your wife. I think you said you're in Oregon. Uh, so you're calling in. Do I have all this right? Uh, yeah, everything's right so far. We're okay. full-time RVers. We actually uh, have a permanent residence, but we're both retired and we're just seeing America. What an amazing country. What'd you retire from? You know, all I know is you're a union guy. What'd you do? I'm a member of uh, two unions. I was a full-paid firefighter for 30 years. Then I was a heavy equipment operator for 10. And then I've gone on retirement on both of them. Okay. In Nevada? Uh, yep. So, Katie, did you grow up in rural Nevada? I did. Yeah. My dad and I both born and raised in Alco, Nevada. Um, and I moved out when I was 18. I moved to Salt Lake City, Utah to go to college here at the University of Utah. All right. Well, let's launch into this. Robbie, what do you want to know? Well, I think this is fascinating because I was just reading some data that John Ralston from Nevada put out about the, the recent midterm elections. And his basic thesis was that this was a persuasion election. So, you know, it wasn't Democratic turnout wasn't actually that great, contrary to popular belief. So this is actually pretty essential conversation because we need to persuade more people to our side here. But I guess my first question, Katie, is somebody, you know, you're probably a longtime listener of the podcast. You know, I have my own family, political disagreements. 
How do politics even come up in the family right now between you and your dad or anybody else in the family? Yeah, my dad is really the only one that I'm willing to talk politics with. Um, and I don't know if that's just by default. I do get a little bit. Um, I am more opinionated than some other folks in my family. I will say that. Um, and I'm learning to temper that definitely. Um, but I think as far as like, who is least likely to push those hot buttons for me and make it personal, it's my dad, right? Like, I think that he and I, we always go back to this like feeling of mutual respect. And I acknowledge that a big reason that I am the person I am today is because he raised me right with good values. And so I think I'm always willing to keep that in the back of my mind. And so whenever things do come up, I will say, maybe dad, you can correct me, but I think you're usually the one who asks me about political things. I don't necessarily ever bring it up with you. And I really respect that when you do ask me about politics or about current events, I feel like it's always with a genuine heart wanting to understand where I'm coming from. That's not to say you don't share your views because you do. Um, but I do respect that you always ask me what my opinion is on things and you're really willing to listen and listen to what I have to say about it. Well, I, I think, yeah, you're right there. I asked you about it uh, because I need to know what the boundaries are that I can actually go into without uh, upset, upsetting you because I know I have in the past. So I kind of, I kind of know my boundaries a little bit uh, there for a long time. I was uh, talking on eggshells, if you know what I mean, because I could see every once in a while I'd bring up something and I could see it in your eye that, uh oh, I should not have uh, gone there. And so I like to know where you're at and uh, you kind of pretty much know pretty much where I'm at. I got to say, I'm probably a moderate Republican. I am registered Republican. Uh, I don't go far right. I kind of go in the middle between far right and moderate. You never really ask me any questions on my beliefs. I don't think uh, very often. Do you, Katie? You know, that's a good point, Dad. I think I love that you said you used to have to walk on eggshells because I think the way that we've gotten to this point is like you've modeled for me what it looks like to not get upset in these conversations. But you bringing that up makes me realize, thanks for calling me out in front of <laughs> all these listeners. But I think I need to do a better job of seeking to understand and asking and listening to understand as well. That's a good point. Well, maybe let's start with, you know, we know very little here, but I think maybe this is a good starting point. Jerry, from what I understand, you voted for Carter. Can I give you my uh, voting history just really briefly? Sure. sure. Okay. When I was 18 years old, I was 19... 72 and Nixon had just got in office. I'd registered. I had, I was forced to register for the draft and uh, I seen what's going on and I didn't like what was going on with Watergate and a few other odds and ends. And so at that point with what was going on with Nixon and Agnew and when he resigned, Ford got into office and I seen there was blunders there. At that point, I, I thought, I, well, I'm going to go ahead and register as a Democrat. I did register as a Democrat, and I did vote for Jimmy Carter, and that's when things really started tanking, use my language, as far as fuel prices, uh, shortages of fuels, interest rates going through the roof, uh, what have you. And then when I started listening to Iranian hostage situation, then when Reagan started coming, he came into Elko and talk, and I started listening to Ronald Reagan and stuff, I said, well, you know what, I like his views and what he wants to do for America a lot better than the direction that Jimmy Carter's running. 
So I went down and I automatically switched over to the Republican Party. I'm kind of like a little kid that uh, goes for whichever team is winning. But no, I've been a Republican ever since Reagan's first election. It's a relatively common story, right? I mean, that Reagan Republicans, who were the really the foundation of the Republican Party for so many years, are now the folks who find themselves, and Jerry, maybe I'll be describing you inaccurately, you tell me, find themselves to be more moderate and maybe looking at their party sometimes now in the era of Trump and going, I'm not sure I'm, I, I mean, I'm still in the party, but I'm not as comfortable in the party as I once was. Is that fair or did I go too far with that description? Well, not with the party in general. Um, I think uh, I think Trump was was his own worst enemy. I really do. I, I liked what he did for our economy as far as unemployment, fuel costs, food costs, unemployment, yada, yada, yada. But he kept sticking his foot in his mouth. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes what he's doing. But then again, don't I'm not dishing on you guys. I don't think the 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 press give him a fair shake either. I mean, they was they was fighting tooth and nail with him all, him all the time, and he was fighting tooth. You know, they was both at each other's throats all the time, and it was hard to get the truth out there. There's a lot better candidates out there right now. I think would lead this country in a way that everybody could actually get along and like, as long as it was good for the country, not just the Paul who's Who's running which office? I mean, I don't care if they're Republican or, or Democrat, as long as they are making this country better. Just this year alone, we've seen the magnitude of natural disasters and the damage and toll they take on communities across the country. Hurricane Ian alone was the deadliest hurricane to strike Florida since 1935. All this is to say, I'm so excited about our partner, Wren. Wren is a website where you calculate your carbon footprint, then offset it by finding projects that plant trees, protect rainforests, and remove carbon dioxide from the sky. Signing up for Wren is an easy way to start actually doing something about the climate crisis. By answering a few questions about your lifestyle on Wren, you can find out your carbon footprint and how you can reduce it. No one can reduce their carbon footprint to zero, so you can offset what you have left after reducing. Once you sign up to make a monthly contribution to offset your carbon footprint, you receive monthly updates from the tree planting, rainforest protection, and carbon removal projects that you support. You get to see the trees you planted and what your money is spent on. It will take a lot to end the climate crisis, and you could start helping today by learning more on Wren.co slash majority 54. That's ren.co slash majority 54. If you sign up using our link and tell Ren we sent you, Ren will plant 10 extra trees in your name. That's ren.co slash majority 54 to get started. With the holidays around the corner, you might be wondering how you're going to be able to make ends meet and shower your loved ones with gifts. Dave can help you get out of a pinch so that you enjoy the holiday season. Dave is the banking app that can help you get up to $500 instantly with extra cash. Extra cash is like a thing that they do. I know because the E and the C are capitalized. With Dave, there's no interest, no late fees or credit checks. That's more money to buy those last minute gifts or catch up on bills without having to wait for your next paycheck. You can finally tackle those expenses that have been stressing you out without any hangups. Millions of people have already downloaded the Dave app to get the financial relief they need with extra cash. So if you're in a pinch and you need some extra help, download Dave and think of it as a helping hand from future you. Download the Dave app from the App Store right now or go to dave.com slash m54. Sign up for an extra cash account and get up to $500 instantly. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve Bank and Trust. Member FDIC.
let's step back for a second because we have approached this under the sort of thesis that what we were what we were doing here was helping Katie figure out why Jerry is Republican. But it sounds to me, Katie, like if if your dad, Jerry, is the only one that you can have these conversations with in your family, uh, it sounds like your family is very conservative. Yes, I think guess. he is my inroad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I don't so, think I so, could convince anyone else. Meaning, meaning your dad is, and I don't know if he sees it this way, but maybe one of the least conservative conservatives in your family. So maybe we should step back for a second and figure out how Katie became a Democrat mm. before we have the conversation about why Jerry is just the same thing as most of his family. The aberration here is you, Katie. I agree. Um, cause, cause when Katie left Delco, she was pretty much conservative when she left. Oh, and then okay. she changed. Yeah. I'm serious. I believe it. So my dad and I have a a parallel story in opposite directions almost. Mm. So when I was 18, the first election that I could vote for was 2008, vote in was 2008. And I registered as a Republican in my high school. And that fall, I voted for John McCain. And I would say by the end of that academic year, I considered myself an Obama Democrat. I studied history and political science. And as I was exposed to more and more history that I hadn't really been exposed to at a K-12 level in the higher education setting, particularly around issues of like social and economic justice, I started to really feel like, I don't know that this party aligns with my values. And then I think the other thing that's really shaped the way that I look at current events and politics is I've now worked in the public sector for a number of years, um, over a decade, I think. The really big turning point for me um, during college and then for several years after, I worked part-time in a classroom as a tutor um, in an elective program for first-generation students. And I saw, you know, I was a first-generation college student myself, but I was exposed to things I wasn't exposed to growing up. So we had students who were homeless. We had students who were undocumented. And I think being exposed to that level of strife made me even more militantly in favor of social and economic justice issues that I felt like the Democratic Party aligned with. You know, there's so many different issues that like both of you have mentioned here today. But given the fact that your dad talked about Reagan being, you know, I would say this sort of gateway drug, Jerry, is how I'll describe it to the Republican Party. Maybe we start with the, the role of government. Like, because when I'm hearing Katie talk about, like, I think that I'm hearing her say that she probably believes in a more robust role of government to help the most vulnerable. So maybe, you know, Jerry, just give us a sense of like where where you think the government has a role, like Medicaid for children versus Medicare for adults versus Social Security. Like, where do you draw the line? What do you think is effective government intervention versus government waste? I think too much government is a problem. It can be governed appropriately with delegating to the states more. Uh, I think that's why this is a republic, not a democracy. It's a republic because states more or less have control of how they want to spend money on which programs, which uh, is great. I mean, they always throw the fear in everybody's face that you're going to be out of Medicare. You're going to be out of Social Security. You're going to be out of yada, yada, yada. If we don't help them, uh, we're in big trouble. I I agree with helping those in need as much as we can, as long, as long as those we are helping in need have the drive to go out and better their lives. I heard a stat on the news the other day. I can't remember how long ago. There's 11 million jobs 
available in this country, six million people on unemployment. Why is it that way? Why aren't that six million people actually taking uh, one of those 11 million jobs? I cannot figure that one out. Well, Katie, I have a lot of thoughts on what your dad just said, but I think more importantly, I would love to hear from you on this. Uh, like particularly the the sense of how we distinguish between the people deserving of some of these public benefits versus people who your dad seems to think uh, aren't going to be incentivized to work or don't have the drive. Yeah, it's a good question. So, and, and maybe this is kind of where we diverge in our beliefs a little bit. You know, I'm firmly of the belief that the issues that we're encountering are systemic, right? And so when we talk about this, this bootstraps mentality of in America, if you have the drive, you can, you can lift yourself up by your bootstraps, you can get it done. I think the longer I've been in my job, the longer I've been, uh, you know, my education certainly contributed to this, the more I realized that there are systemic barriers in place that are operating behind the scenes that folks may not always see that makes that bootstrap mentality not reflective of our reality. And it's more about systemic failings and more about inherent biases of systems and economies than it is about personal drive and grit. I definitely see in my state this mentality that we have to make people prove that they're worthy poor. And I think that I don't necessarily agree with that approach. Katie, among your friend group, would you put yourself as like, right in the middle of everybody politically or like one of the more liberal, more, more moderate, like where would you say you are? I would say I lean a little bit more toward the left than some of my friends, but I think that we would all consider ourselves liberals. Yeah. And then where would you say you get most of your news? So for me, I, I get a lot of my news from NPR. <laughs> I think that that's probably not coming as a surprise. Um, but I also, I have to pay attention to a lot of local news. Jerry, yeah, same questions for you. Like now you're a full-time RVer, so, you know, but you have a social group, friends, maybe guys you were, uh, you fought fires with or whatever, like among your social orbit, would you say you are more conservative right in the middle, a little less conservative? I'm just curious. Oh, I'd say right in the middle. Yes. Uh, a couple of my closest friends are really, really far far left, but uh, where were they passed away now? A couple of my best friends in my life were very far left, but a majority of my friends are pretty much right in the middle where I'm at. And then I've had a couple of friends were so far to the right, it was almost spooky, but they were still friends of mine. And we just we hardly ever talk any, any politics. Look, here's the thing about therapy. It's not like uh, going to, you know, the doctor and laying down and like having them, you know, write you a prescription for something is not passive. Therapy is very active. It's actually much more like if you've ever done physical therapy, right? Like you have to put work into it. It's not just about the sessions where you talk to somebody. It's about what you do in between the sessions. One of the things you talk about during those sessions is what you can work on in between those sessions, you know, before the next session. And Look, if you're going to be able to have enough sessions to do enough of this work in between the sessions, it's great to have something really convenient. And that's why BetterHelp uh, is such a great option. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. 
It could not be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash M54. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash M54. I am not aware of what I am actually subscribed to. Like I try to be, and now with this uh, sponsor and by using this product, uh, Rocket Money, I'm much better about it, thank goodness. Maybe for you, it's like an unused Amazon Prime account uh, or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. Um, or like probably what it is, is like you were like, oh, I do need this streaming service to watch this one thing and I'll cancel it in a week. You're never going to cancel it in a week. You don't. The app is called Rocket Money formerly known as Truebill, which you may have heard of. Uh, it shows all your subscriptions in one place, and then it cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions that you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out that you've been double charged for a subscription. I bet you probably will find that out. To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of useless subscriptions with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash M54. Seriously, it could save you hundreds of dollars a year. That's rocketmoney.com slash M54. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash M54. Okay, let me ask this then. So I think it's probably pretty fair to guess that given what Katie does for them and given what she studied, given that she listens to this show and wanted to come on with you, Jerry, that paying attention to the news and particularly the political news is probably, whether it's consciously a high priority or not, is probably a, a relatively big part of your life, Katie. Is that is that fair? Like, Katie's nodding. So yeah. Now, Jerry, I'm curious, as you're RVing around the country, and even prior to that, while you were working, like when you came home from work at the end of a day, were you flipping on the news? Or were you more likely to turn on a, a game? Or like, where does following the news, and particularly the political news, sort of exist in your life? Long story short, <laughs> back in the old days, when uh, I never had TV till I was 10 years old. But no, no, that's when I got into where I was watching TV. There's only three channels on the TV, as ABC, NBC, and CBS. And then as time went on, CNN come on, I started watching that. But then the last probably 20 years, I leaned towards Fox quite a bit. Uh, the news side, the commentary side, I kind of steer away from. I, I probably listen to Fox. So well, local Fox around here is pretty good to talk about weather and local stuff. But yeah, I, I listen to Fox. Oh, probably. I can bring him on there. I listen to Brett Bear a lot because I think he he's a straight shooter and he doesn't. I think he tells what the truth is. I don't think he exaggerates. But uh, that's about the. I, I usually watch maybe two hours of news a night, and then mainly sports. So it's fair to say it's like following the news is a little bit of a hobby for you, but it's not an obsession. Exactly. Perfect. That makes sense. And then for Katie. Katie, it's like you follow the news, but it's a it's a bigger part of your life. Like it interacts with your daily life. And so what's interesting to me is that, Jerry, you, it feels to me like, and we're going to get into this conversation of like what a Democrat would look like or, or not literally look like, but, what, you know, the, the sort of Democrat that you would even consider voting for. I wonder if part of it is like the fact that you are like aware that the commentary on Fox, you know, obviously the news is slanted as well, just as it is anywhere else in one direction or another, but the, you're like, okay, the commentary is like unfiltered <laughs> uh, slant. And so yeah, you yourself are like, I'm gonna, I know that's what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, I'm going to steer away from that. 
But it's interesting that that to me, I think, is why you're able, in addition to her being your daughter, uh, able to have the most productive conversations with Katie. But Katie, like, I'll let you get into like, like if there were a Democratic candidate that you were like, this is the person, and you don't have to pick an actual person who is going to win my dad over. What would that look like? Uh I think it'd be you, Jason. I didn't mean the to. I, I, didn't, I wasn't. I wasn't looking for that. But I. I it's nice no. of you to say. Um, but I mean, well, okay. Let's let's run with that. Yeah. Other than the fact that uh, you know, now I've met your dad, which would give me a big advantage. Um, <laughs> why? Yeah. No. And I was half joking and half not. And the reason your name came to mind is, you know, my dad and I were talking just a week or two ago about what are the biggest issues that matter to him. And I may be missing one dad, but the two that stuck out in my mind were the economy and national security. And so in my mind, a Democratic candidate who would be able to win my dad over is somebody who has that level of patriotism that would that would rival the narrative of patriotism coming from the right. And that's why I bring you up, Jason. But also, I think as far as like an economic candidate goes, I feel like what my dad was just talking about, about like government waste. And are we making sure that programs like social safety net programs are going to folks who are making a genuine effort to find employment and better their lot in life? While I may not necessarily agree with that rhetoric, if we could find a candidate who addresses that concern in a way that is both truthful, but also palatable for folks who do feel that way, I feel like that's the candidate who would win my father over. Jerry, has there been, not necessarily that you voted for, but has there been a Democratic candidate at any level, could be school board, somebody we haven't heard of or whatever, in the last several years, where you were like, oh, I like that person. You know, you may not have voted for them because you're like, I'm a Republican, so I don't, I don't, but but I like that person. I think they offered some good things. Has there been anybody like that? Every year, we get recommendations on which candidate, the leadership in both AFL-CIO, IAFF, and the uh, operating engineer, they'd have a list of recommended candidates. And some of them were Democrats, some of them were Republican. But I did pay attention to most of what platforms they was run on. It swayed me a little bit here and there as far as the state candidates. But the biggest thing I got is the leadership. Don't get me wrong. I've been a, a diehard union member for 60 some yeah I think 60 plus years a majority of the leadership is pretty far left and a majority of the actual working man is pretty much moderate I'm not I'm probably 50 50 when you were thinking about it in terms of okay I'm a strong union member I'm interested in what my union leadership has to say but I don't take it as gospel I wonder whether you were thinking of it as these are the people who supposedly are going to be in my interest, or did you think of it as like, these are the people who my union leadership knows? Uh, the second one. Okay. The second one. Yeah. yeah. I like what they do for, for the, the working man. I like the, the wages, the benefits. The, I like, don't get me wrong, it's job protection, it's safety. That's their biggest concern, job protection, safety, and benefits. But then when then a lot of the contributions probably go to some of the programs I'm not fully 100 percent on board with, but I still am a union member. I kind of got to just 
go along with it, you know? Yeah, I do. And here's, I'll, I'll, I'm building up to this question, which is what I find really interesting about you, Jerry, is that from the way you were described to us by Katie, you're pretty, I would say, liberal or at least agnostic on social issues, like on LGBT issues, on on social issues. You're sort of like, look, let's let's live and let live. Let's, you know, you're not trying to have the government be up in anybody's business. And then, you know, as you as you describe on uh, economic issues, you feel like you're more conservative. But what's interesting is, is you don't find a lot of people in that position who also are really like in favor of unions and feel like unions do a positive thing. And so I'm just kind of curious how you personally reconcile the fact that like Trump and just about all these Republicans you vote for are really into things like right to work and would love to, frankly, bust up unions. Like, how do you think about that? I've never actually read anything or come out on that stating that they wanted to break in. In fact, I know a lot of a lot of union members that are supporting them because uh, I think they've created he was creating the jobs and putting money into the infrastructure or, or all of them, all the states and stuff do that too. But I've never once, maybe I'm naive, but heard anybody wanting to bust up unions. I've never heard that. Well, I, I don't know that you're naive. I think it might be the case that Democrats haven't done a very good job of communicating that message to you. And Katie, I think the two things we've learned so far are that uh, your dad would like you to ask more questions about how he feels. And two, you might want to provide your dad some more information about the positions of some of the Republicans in terms of unions. I think that is 100% right. I think in listening to both of you, I want to get a sense of just how you've persuaded each other over time, because I get the sense that, Jerry, if I'm if I'm thinking about your role here, whether Katie's there or not, it seems to me like Katie's voice is inside your head a little bit here and vice versa. Am I right about that? Like, are you influencing each other? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. I think this gives some of our audience hope because so often our audience, they're dealing with people who their the voice isn't penetrating, right? So tell us, this is, could be for either of you, just tell us how this is possible, like how you're able to keep this going and, you know, maybe give us some color here, one or two conversations that you haven't shared yet where you are breaking through even little by little. Yeah, I think one of the things, well, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of those questions. One of the things that I think my dad and I have going for us is Outside of politics and outside of current events, we share so many interests. So I'm like totally daddy's girl in this regard of like diehard 49ers fans, diehard deadheads. Like these are all the things that I know that like matter to us that we share. So the things that we don't share in terms of our political views, like don't matter as much to me. Like I know we can always get around this during the pandemic when nationally we're all hitting this like boiling point about conversations about critical race theory and what should be taught in schools. My dad randomly called me one day and just said, Hey, like, what is CRT? Like, tell me what you think about it. And I was like, I was hearing all of this negativity around this issue. And that was the first time that I ever had this glimmer of hope that like real conversations can happen around that. And I think that my dad left the conversation with like, okay, a lot of that made sense. I don't want people teaching kids that America is a bad country to live in. That's all I'm really concerned about. But you made some good points that I haven't thought of. And so that was a very like grounded conversation where I was like, we can both learn something here about how those issues are packaged and talked about and the verbiage and the language that's used that can be persuasive to the other side. One thing that I feel strongly that 
the left is losing on is like defunding the police. I understand the social justice component of this. And I am in favor of making sure that when somebody's having a mental health crisis, the appropriate people are responding and the appropriate people are not always the police with who are armed. Right. But I think even that phrase, we're doing ourselves a disservice on the left by not thinking to ourselves, like, is there a better way to package this? That's not going to be a non-starter for somebody because they're interpreting something that's not there. Yeah, Katie, I, I agree. And Jerry, I grew up in Staten Island, New York, around a bunch of firefighters and police officers. And I suspect, you tell me if I'm wrong, if if, if that basket of policies was sold as better differentiation, right? Like one thing I know that a lot of my firefighter friends complained about is that they used to have to respond to every type of emergency, whether it was a fire or not. And that often they were being used to de-escalate conflicts that they weren't trained for. They would often get there before EMTs. And so like investing resources so that firefighters fight fires and mental health professionals fight mental health issues and police officers respond to threats to public safety, that seems like a better sell. Yeah, I I agree. But, uh, you know, where I grew up and where I responded is, uh, you know, it's not that big a town. Almost every emergency, no matter what it was, sometimes we get there a minute or two before the PD. Sometimes the PD would be there a minute or two before us. And we work really hand in hand together. Back on the defund police, that, 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 that cannot ever happen. Without laws and law and order, you have anarchy. Anarchy cannot have that. We're seeing that happen now all across this country and smashing grabs and stuff. There's good cops. I mean, 90, probably 90, 98% of the cops are very, very good. There's a few bad apples. Firemen are the same way. There's probably 98, 90% of the firemen are very, very good employees, but there is a contingent of the ones that are bad. Uh, just for instance, I remember a few years back, they actually had uh, firemen going out and starting wildland fires in California so they could make overtime. That's bad firemen. You know, yeah. what I'm saying, you know, get what I get, get in that. But, as far as standing in social workers to de-escalate situations, probably 50-50, that might work out. But what you don't need is a social worker going in to de-escalate the situation and having them turn on them without them having any kind of protection at all. Because then you're going you're gonna to multiply the situation by having more people in need. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I know we're running out of some time. I, w- I just want to point out a couple of things. And Jason, feel free to jump in because I imagine you've got some additions to this. I think as our listeners are trying to trying to make meaning from this conversation, there are a few things that stand out to me. Number one is when we asked you why the relationship between you and your father works and you're even able to have civil discussions on on tough topics, you talked about how you you have the strong relationships outside of the politics, right? And so it has a very limited role in your relationship. And that's something that we've been talking about on this podcast for a long time is like, don't go in guns blazing, trying to talk politics all the time. Like it really takes like a sustained shared set of interests and values to build up from, right? And you can't just think of every conversation as a political conversation. Um, I think two is like the listening here, right? Like I think what we learned is your dad wants you to, kind of actively listen more. Um, in, in a weird way, it's the reverse of what I was asking of my father, if you've been following those com- kind of conversations. But it looks like you have a set of questions to go back to your father on. 
And I think third is like, when I'm hearing the two of you, I, I often wonder like, and maybe you can give us a sense of this, like, do you guys trade information? Like, are you like forwarding articles back and forth or is it just like coming up just randomly in conversations? It's randomly. Yeah. We trade uh, I think randomly, injury yeah. reserve reports a lot yeah. more than we trade. Yeah. But that's important though. That's, to Ravi's point, that's important. That you, you, well, you, did you hear them? They're, they're Niners fans. So injury reports, oh. that's probably the only thing they talk about given how many injuries <laughs> that team has sustained. There's Niner no, fan did hit. <laughs> what I hear you saying, Jerry, is, and this is what makes you a moderate to some degree, is like, you're like, I understand that there's there needs to be some change. And I understand that we've learned some things and we want to do some things better, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the speed at which we're trying to do that. Is that fair? Exactly. Perfect. You spelled it out perfectly. Katie, your job, and for the people who have somebody like Jerry in their life, is to accept that, well, not fully accept that, is to uh, to to acknowledge that and then try to move him uh, a little bit faster, maybe right at the edge of the envelope of what he's comfortable with, but not so far out on the edge that it pushes him back. I think that's right. And your words are echoing in my mind from a couple of episodes ago where, so I have a two-year-old son um, who's obsessed with, with Jerry Papu. And I think at the end of the day, dad, like you and I want the same future for him. Like we want a world that's safe, that's equitable in an environment that is sustainable enough for him to not have to live through like natural disasters all the time. And the words that are echoing in my mind are the ones that Robbie said about bespoke politics, right? Like, and, and I think Jason, this was an analogy you used. I don't think there's a single candidate or a single party that's going to get us to that exact spot, but we got to choose the one that's going to get us closest over time, right? The bus analogy of like, you're not going to have a bus that drops you off at your cubicle. It's going to drop you off a block away. And so I think, yeah, that's where I have more work to do is recentering. Like we ultimately want the same future for him. Let's keep having this dialogue about how we get there. My dad told me the other day, like, just promise me that you're going to let Ray, my little boy, believe what he wants to believe and be who he wants to be. And you're going to give him the freedom and the the autonomy to do that. And I think that like, it speaks to how you raised me, dad, and maybe why I did become a Democrat is because you like, you instilled in me values, but you also believed in my skill set and my ability to think for myself. And, and here we are having this awesome experience today. So I, I definitely want to like bring that into my own parenting mentality too. So thanks for reminding me of that. You know, <laughs> well, I'll say thank you to you both. This is really fun and uh, and I think helpful to the listeners. I enjoyed it. Thanks for doing this. And, you know, thank you, Katie, for reaching out to us. But honestly, most of all, Jerry, thanks to you because your daughter came to you and was like, hey, I want us to publicly go on a liberal podcast that a lot of people listen to where you'll be the only not liberal person. So uh, it's very much appreciated. Oh, I appreciate it too. Appreciate it. All right. Now, we said at the beginning of this episode what the purpose of it was, but that said, you probably still have some thoughts on how that conversation went or just anything else you want to talk about. 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. We may play and then respond to your voicemail on the air. Same thing for an email, m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. That's m54 at wondermedianetwork.com. As always, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. He's in Costa Rica right now, like surfing. There's probably some real good Instagram content coming if you haven't followed Ravi already. You really ought to. Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.
Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, Adesua Agbenile, and Sarah Schleed. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.